Stop talking about the shooting at Perry High School in Perry, Iowa. Just like we said they would. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Good to be with you. Find everything, including the podcast, at WIBC.com. There are two reasons for this. The shooting that took place, one person was killed. Did not involve an AR-15. Involved a shotgun and a handgun. Second is the shooter's connection to what would be described as the world of LGBTQ. Those two things have stopped the so-called vaunted uh, national media to stop talking about a story. There is a story to be discussed here. Lives were lost. And if we are not people engaged in the underpinnings, the underlying causes, the reasons these things take place, well, then we are absolutely lost people. It's a danger when we do not discuss them, engage them, and understand what's happening to the mind underneath, to the soul underneath. You can bet every dollar you have that between no AR-15 being used and the shooter's connection to the quote-unquote LGBTQ world, that's why no one's talking about it. It doesn't fit narrative. Some people are going to get angry with me for that second part. Facts are facts. Look how angry people were when we were shown pieces of the manifesto, gosh, do I hate that word, of the Nashville shooter. Six people killed. A girl who claimed to be a guy. Now, this is foreshadowing for a story I've got in the 7 o'clock hour. But even though we know no semi-automatic weapon was used, right? I I shouldn't say semi-automatic weapon. No AR-15 was used. You have a gun group utilizing this to say we can prevent these school shootings if Congress passes the assault weapons ban. Ethan's law to require gun owners to secure their guns and other life-saving gun laws. First of all, anything can be an assault weapon. The the, the terminology is, is beyond nonsensical in my view. But that's not what was used. Even what they would consider an assault weapon is not what was used. They don't care. The gun grabber does not care. So first they don't report the story, but they will use it top line without actual data, without explaining to their audience what actually happened to push their anti-gun agenda. There's a lot of indecency out there, a tremendous amount of indecency. The Second Amendment remains. The Second Amendment has to stay and has to be fought for. Why are kids shooting up schools? Well, let's talk about their state of mind and who is helping to confuse that state. Let's start there. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning.
just like that, Governor Eric Holcomb takes a bow, gives his eighth and final State of the State address, adjusts his cowboy boots, and walks off into the one-year sunset. Eh, from all accounts, not so bad. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. The speech, and is walking away. Not so bad. People seem mostly fine with it. My gosh, even the Democratic Party. This Indiana Democratic Party. Uh, the, the, it, here, here, where, where was it? It was like, you know what? Oh, here it is. Tonight, Governor Eric Holcomb gave his final state of the state address as Indiana governor. Over the past seven years, we have often disagreed vigorously with the governor while working together to find common ground on many issues, including COVID prevention and new funding to improve health in every corner of our state. The governor, despite our disagreements, was always more ambitious about the people and future of our state than the Republican supermajority in the state house. I, at some level, you have to understand that that's pretty high praise. That that's what it is. They had nothing to attack within this this state of the state address that uh that Eric Holcomb gave. It's understandable. There is a tremendous amount that has taken place over these years that you can look back on and say, look what we did. You, you can say the words. It doesn't well comport with the lack of leadership of the Republican Party for those people who, who align that way. I want to go back and say that again. There was no leadership. None. If you're asking what happened behind the scenes, good Lord, can't tell you. We're discussing what we see. And the dismissal of that is is radical in my view, and it and it, uh, it has been dismissed by so-called leaders. It's been dismissed, uh, I, I think, by by the governor himself. It doesn't matter. That's all noise. Look what we're doing. A lot of investments has come to the state of, of, of Indiana. These are good things. I don't deny this. When Governor Holcomb went to Israel to meet with Netanyahu. I think I was the only person who talked about it. I cheered it. I asked him to come on the show. They offered me the then leader of the Republican Party. Nice guy, not who I want to talk to. This is exactly it. You're doing these things. You won't talk about the things. So don't expect people to be looking at you saying, oh, what a guy. Everything about COVID was done poorly. Lockdowns. The, the, the lack of leadership. The, the relinquishing the role of leader, of elected official, to Dr. Christina Box. I'm not saying she's a bad person. Nobody elected her. Not being focused on the capital city to the extent that you allow riots to take place not five miles from your home, and you have nothing to say. How dare anybody think that those things don't have an effect on the psyche of Hoosiers?
But when you talk about quite literally billions of dollars being invested into the state, I'll cheer it. Indianapolis has problem on problem. But when I hear Hendrick's uh, company is going to put $600 million into redoing the Circle Center Mall, I cheer it. When the Keystone Group, uh, the owners of the Indy 11, are, are going to do 11 Park, I cheer it. These are good things. Revolutionary things can make things better. But I note that while the city grows from those things, it was not the city that brought about those things. To the extent that Governor Holcomb can take the credit for the investment into Indiana. I, I'm not there with that. Now, he was the guy, so he gets to take, he was the guy in an office, so he gets to take uh, that, that connection but I think, and and it's 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 not. Look, I, I I'm I'm not saying that uh, he he's my choice for governor. Although we are going to be interviewing all the governor candidates, that's coming soon. Um, the work Brad Chambers did to bring business, I think, is still bearing fruit, and he gets to talk uh, uh, about that in in the in this run for governor. And I don't think that could be um, denied. In the state of the state, some of the things that were discussed by uh, Governor Holcomb, the Indiana model, his philosophy on creating, that's how we reported here at WIBC.com, generational change throughout the Midwest. Um, Cooperation between Indiana's public, private, and philanthropic sectors and all levels of government. Okay, I'm not quite sure. What what that means. He wants to improve policies around third grade reading to make sure Hoosier children can read. There's a whole question, because I think one of the things he brought up, yeah, I have that right, is the idea that we may have to start holding back third graders who don't read at level. That's absolutely correct. If you're not reading at level, of course you should be held back. The idea of social promotion is nonsense. It doesn't work. So if he is really serious about this, good on Governor Holcomb. Absolutely you should. Oh, your kid might be upset for an hour. They'll get over it. But you gotta read. And there's a whole conversation here about what parents need to be doing to help their kids read. That starts at an earlier age, by the way. Which is where the people who want universal pre-K are going to jump in and say, see, this is why we need, that's how that one's going to go. Conversations about requiring a computer science course to graduate from high school. No. Governor, you're very close. You need a home ec course. You need an investing course. You need an understanding retirement course. 
Do not force computer science on kids. What we need to show them is how to control their own lives and then show them the opportunities that come from that. You're close. It is not this. I would oppose this. And I don't, I don't oppose computer science. I get the, the, the basic argument. The future is in the coding and all the other ancillary things. Let's make sure our kids are ready. No, let's make sure our kids know the fundamentals about being able to live a life not dependent on their parents and not dependent on government. Teach them the skills to be able to go out there and get it. Teach them how to invest. Show them how it is done. Put together courses. Bring in Warren Buffett. Bring in bring in 50 Cent. Bring in others to teach kids exactly what it is to control your own financial future. More Hoosier children will benefit from learning how to balance a checkbook than learning how to code in Python. That's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Might not be as sexy, but you will create better people. That's just some of what he got into. Now, working with public universities to create more three-year and associate degree options? Oh, I'm down for that. I'm also down with more Ivy Tech. We will get more into Governor Holcomb's state of the state a little bit later. Right now, Chris Christie will not get out of this race. He won't do it. And the Haley people are desperate for him to get out of this race. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Good to be with you. Desperate for him to get out. Because Haley is only down by nine in New Hampshire. And if Haley's only down by nine... Well, then, the opportunity is there to take New Hampshire from Trump and therefore reset the entirety of this election. Why isn't Chris Christie recognizing this? Now, this audio seemed to be a little touch distorted. Maybe it's just the way I'm hearing it. This is Chris Christie on the campaign trail. Let's say I dropped out of the race right now. And I supported Nikki Haley. And then three months from now, four months from now, when we get ready to go to the convention, she comes out and is his vice president. What will I look like? What will all the people who supported her at my behest look like? That's an interesting take. I can't drop out and support Nikki Haley. Because I don't trust her. Oh, it's weird when Chris Christie is making the Vivek Ramaswamy argument. That's a that's a weird moment here in 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 the political world. That is a punch to the face. And to date, throughout this whole campaign, to this moment. That's his best argument yet.
Now, I know it might not work for you. I, I, I get what you're saying, but, but think of it just, it, 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 not everybody is, is like you. The argument of I'm the only guy who will not for any reason give in to Trump at all. To some, you have to admit it, because if you won't admit it, well, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, that's an attractive quality. I will stay true to this ideal. Nikki Haley won't. Ron DeSantis, I don't know if he gets involved in that thought process for people. But that is his strongest moment to date. Five days before the Iowa caucuses. And I can't say it enough. And now we have to do a part two on it. The weather in Iowa changes everything. And I believe that the weather in Iowa will change how people view the caucus itself, meaning it might be meaningless. I will get to that in the next hour. I'm going to try my best to. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. IU, they have suspended a tenured political science professor. I think I would pronounce uh, his first name Abdul Kader. A B D U L K A D E R, last name Sino, S I N N O. And it seems like for a very odd reason for a room reservation. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. Good to be with you. It is not, in my view, for a room reservation issue. You've got an event that was hosted by a student group, the Palestine Solidarity Committee, and Sinno was the group's advisor. The suspension comes because the room was held, reserved, uh, under the guise of of being for a, a specific faculty-type need. But it turns out the room was actually being reserved for a student group. The student group being one of these ever-popular anti-Israel kind of groups. It was listed as an academic talk about Middle Eastern politics. But the event was actually for a student organization. Thus, the university said, hey, you can't do that. And they said, well, we already paid for the speaker. They're already flying in, so we're just doing it. It seems to me that this is one of the possibly many professors who are the ones who support the the anti-Semitism and the flat-out Jew hatred on the campus of IU, just like we see on campuses all across the country. Does anybody think that IU is, 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 is immune uh, to this? Does anybody think that IU is immune to this? Of course they're not immune to this. If you take a look at the first statement post-October 7th, the attack by the terrorist organization Hamas on Israel that murdered 1,200 when they weren't uh, killing babies, when they weren't raping women, when they weren't setting people on fire, weren't kidnapping women and children and the elderly. 
the statement from IU was as pathetic and mealy-mouthed as anything out there. The statement from uh, President Pam Witten was beyond weak. People got to her, what is wrong with you? Then she puts out a very strong statement, but she didn't put it out via the university. I think she put it out on her own Instagram or something like that. It was, it was meant to be buried. That's my take. So to the extent that I know this, this professor's history, um, I can't say that I, I know it in any level of detail. I'm learning. As for what I'm told, you're talking about one of the people who absolutely pushes the anti-Israel rhetoric. Again, that's what I'm told. I need to dig in a little bit more. It would seem odd that you would have a university suspend a professor over how a room was utilized. But if the only way you can get the guys on a technicality, maybe the university feels we have to do something about this. I think you can do something about this by being better at who you hire. Now, there are professors coming to the defense of Professor Sinnoh authoring a petition, quote, as faculty members of Indiana University, the story, by the way, can be found at the Indiana Daily Student, idsnews.com. As, a, as faculty members of Indiana University, we condemn this persecution of a colleague and the administration's shocking expression of contempt for IU's longstanding practices of shared governance. I, I don't know what they mean by shared governance at, at, at all. No idea what they, they mean by that. What I do know is that group that was able to use the room have held demonstrations to support Palestine and honor the lives lost in 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 the war, uh, but but not the Israeli lives. That, that that seems pretty obvious. This is about who you hire. This is about who you're bringing in. This is about the university system writ large. And the bigotry that exists everywhere. People are shocked. I'm still shocked that the people are shocked. But now that you're shocked, what's your plan? Do you still write checks? Do you still write checks to universities? And I'm not singling out, singling, 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 singling out IU in this subject, in this conversation. Name your university. Do you still write them checks? Why? Why? Well, we're going to put together a crack committee and we're going to really do research on this and get a good understanding of how we can be better in the future. Well, we understand your concerns and we're committed to doing better in the future. If you can be bought off with a press release type statement, that could have come from a C-list star in Hollywood after getting caught in a, in a weird photograph, well then, how weak are you? Don't believe a university until they actually do better. It's not that there aren't going to be students or others out there who are remarkable bigots and hateful shrews of people. Of course there are. You can't, you're not going to change that. But you know about these people when you hire them. 
change how you hire. Change your hiring practices. Oh, and let's put an end to tenure. Could we do that? This tenure madness is madness. Welcome to the real world, professors. You got to actually work for your job and work to keep it. improve policies around third grade reading to make sure that every child masters this essential skill. We must prepare our students for a digitally driven world by requiring computer science to graduate from high school. We must work with our public universities to make college even more accessible by creating more three-year and associate degree options. My gosh, that's a lot of musts, Governor Holcomb. You got a lot of musts in your state of the state address last night. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Find the podcast. Subscribe, if you would, at WIBC.com. Get everything from Tony Katz in the morning news, Tony Katz today. It is all there. So be sure to get that. Find everything I'm doing over at TonyCats.com. Um, if kids at third grade can't read at level, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying leave them back. People want the social promotion. We need kids who can read. We do. And then again, the answer could be this whole experiment with public education isn't working. Maybe we need to rethink the model. We're tinkering with the model. Maybe it needs a full rethink. Maybe it needs to be burned to the ground. I don't know why that's not in the realm of conversation. It should be. I don't know if that's totally the answer. But it has to be part of the conversation. As for the idea of the computer science, listen to that again from the state of the state. We must prepare our students for a digitally driven world by requiring computer science to graduate from high school. Conceptually, he's in the right headspace. The technological world is here and we need to do what we can to help our kids succeed in that world. But if we're going to keep up with this public education system, the more important skill, and and, and I should be clear because I brought this up earlier, I don't know if it necessarily means a trade-off, right? Uh, Thomas Sowell is famous for saying there are no solutions, uh, only trade-offs. It doesn't have to be one or the other, it can be both. What we need to do is teach our kids economic literacy how to balance a checkbook, how to save for retirement, how to figure out a budget, how to invest. That's what we need to teach. And to the and, and maybe we have this in Indiana, I don't know it. What products do we have? What what legislation have we ever enacted to allow children to invest in a way that most benefits them? What tax advantages do we give? Because we should. We should. We should be proactive in this. But if we're going to teach computer science, and not every kid was meant to code, and we're not going to teach how to balance a checkbook, we're not doing it right.
Balancing a checkbook comes first. Investing comes first. Understanding how to utilize your money and make your money work for you comes first. That's empowerment. And that leads to better results. Far better results. Tony Katz, that's me, by the way. 93 WIBC, good morning. Time to redo that kitchen. Time to redo that master bath. Time for Boer. B-O-O-H-E-R, BoerRemodeling.com. It's a new year, and you're not going another year with that kitchen. Uh, Matt Bear and I have been through your kitchen. We've looked through your cupboards. It's terrible. It's gross. It's despicable. We don't know how you live in that house. Do yourself a favor. Call Boer Remodeling and say, here's my idea. It's a free consultation. Here, Here's my napkin. Here's what I've drawn up. What do you think? They've been doing this since, since 2000, 2001. They understand what is needed. They've done the work. They redid my guest bathroom. That's what we needed uh, done. Absolutely perfect. They're the most communicative people you will ever come across. On Tuesday, so-and-so will be there, and they'll be doing such-and-such. And And then on Tuesday, so-and-so is there, and they did such-and-such. Talk to Boer Remodeling for a project that not only is going to turn out beautiful, but is going to leave you stress-free, which when you're in a remodel, man, those stress levels can get high. Not with Boer. Talk to them today. 317-852-5546. 317-852-5546. 852-5546 or online at Boer. It's about this time each and every day that we bring about the popcorn moment. It's the story you need to hear to believe, then grab your popcorn because there is more. And I I have some moments to share with you. And, And I don't want to let you down. Tony Katz. 93 WIBC, good morning. Find everything at TonyCats.com. I don't want to let you down. I want to make sure I have it. The popcorn moment. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. There it is. It's the story you need to hear to believe. Then grab your popcorn because there is more. Just a quick hit. You had uh, uh, Ron DeSantis on, on the Fox News doing a town hall yesterday. And, of course, you got a debate tonight. You got the debate tonight, but you've got Trump doing the town hall on Fox. He's talking about abortion, and then here come the protesters. Well, I think this is actually a way I can take both the first and the second part of your question, uh, because, you know, I think it is important to stand for a culture of life. I'm the only one running that has actually enacted protections for the sanctity of life. I'm the only one that's been able to do that. Hold on, hold on, hold on, honey. you learn with these people, right? (laughs) All right. All right. Well, you guys, that was a mistake. You guys didn't get that one right. Okay. So, so I do think it's important to, um, I think it's important that we do that. And I'm the only one running that's actually enacted protections for the sanctity of life. Uh, Iowa has done, of course. They're chanting no oil money. I think they meant no money for oil. Who who knows? These people are fools. These people who think that this kind of interruption is is valuable, they are going to get met with force. 
just like the people blocking traffic, the people who block the traffic uh, on uh, to the Holland Tunnel, for example, they're thrilled. They're overjoyed with what they did. They're like, how successful was that? It was successful because the police were behind you, stopping people from kicking you in the head. Which, by the way, is going to happen. There's one video going around with, with a guy pushing them and being infuriated. I have to go get my daughter. Get out of my way. The people who block traffic are going to get run over. These people are lawless. They don't care about the social contract. They don't care about you. They think their feelings are more important than your life, and they are going to get met with reality. The only thing stopping that right now are the people with guns licensed by the state. And police officers, for the record, you're wrong. If people are blocking traffic, you grab these people by the nose and you get them out of the way of traffic. People having mobility, American citizens having mobility is job number one. The right to peacefully assemble is not happening when you're blocking the street. You don't let them do it, and any mayor who would let them do it isn't worth their damn salt. Throw that son of a you-know-what directly out of office. Cops, remember who you work for. Now you say to me, they're citizens. I work for them too. And when citizens are breaking the law and endangering the citizenry, what's your job? We're going to have this conversation? You want to take it down to the nth degree? Fine. But if you're going to sit there and protect them, don't be surprised when 5,000 people start marching up and kicking them to get them out of the way. The first time the ambulance carrying the nine-year-old girl can't make it to the hospital in time and the child dies, we'll see what happens. The warning has been set. We leave it there. I bring up the popcorn moment early because there's a story that took place in Indianapolis that is so insane in the vein of the people who block traffic. There's a Facebook post that talks about a, a coffee shop called Mansion Society. I admit to you, I don't know anything about Mansion Society. I have never heard of Mansion Society. And so when when I, I, I saw it, I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know what this is. It's a coffee shop that has opened uh, at the old Central State Hospital. Well, congratulations. I hope you guys are a success. I hope, I hope it goes well. Here's the story. They opened for business as normal on December 31st. It's New Year's Eve. Fox 59 with the story. All of a sudden, a full bridal party, the bride, the bridesmaids, the groom, the groomsmen, uh, guests, they take over the whole coffee shop. They start putting their gifts everywhere. They ask the staff to take their coats. They never once contacted the coffee shop to see if they can hold a wedding there. 30 people show up take over the whole coffee shop. They keep people from coming into the coffee shop. There's an officiant, they hold a wedding. 
They take all the spots up front. They're not even caring where they park. The people who work there were like, well, there is a, 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 a wedding venue like, like right around the, the, the corner. Maybe they're just stopping in for coffee. But no, they didn't stop in for coffee. They had the entire wedding in the coffee shop. They start moving chairs. They start moving sofas. They take over the whole place. And then when they left, they didn't clean anything. They just left it. They just left it. The bride, the, by the way, uh, groom, this, this is who you married? Or, or bride, this is the groom you married? You two deserve each other. You really do. Please, don't have children. Um, uh, the bride emails the coffee shop offering a $200 donation. The shop is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Our private rental fee is $500. 500 bucks, please. The wedding lasted more than 20 minutes. They sent an invoice to the couple. What we need to know from Mansion Society is, is, is uh, did they pay it? Did you get any money whatsoever? I, I am curious about what, what has happened. Now, I'm also curious because there's a GoFundMe for the coffee shop. The GoFundMe goal is $750, but they said that their their daily fee is $500. They've raised $625 of it so far. You know what? I'm not even mad. Like, I sometimes don't understand uh, all, all the why we set up GoFundMes, but these people got screwed. This couple is disgusting. What made you think you can do this? What made you think this was okay? You blocked other people from coming in? This selfishness. You think you're in charge? Well, we want to have a wedding here. We're just going to do it. No. No, you won't. What is the shop supposed to do? Start having fists fly? Because you are disgusting and this is the argument. You brought 30 people as a show of force. And so no one could do anything about it. Because if they start the fight, then they're the problem. Anybody who attended this wedding is despicable. Now, it's possible some of them didn't know that the bride and groom are such lowlifes that they didn't coordinate and pay for the space. I assume, though, they knew what was happening and they were like, well, uh, we, we, we like hanging out with D-Gens. They're like Darry from Letterkenny. Sometimes uh, you, you hang out with the D-Gens until you realize, wait a second, these people are D-Gens. I don't hang out with them. Oh. We need to know, Mansion Society, did you get paid? This, it's the most infuriating story in the world. It is in the lead for the most crazy story of 2024. And, and uh, this, this, this year is only like 10 days old. That's, that's it. I know. I know. Feels like forever, doesn't it? It really, it really does. It really does. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. You don't... Oh, we gotta do traffic. That's right. I forgot about you, Matt Bear. I was so I was gonna get into uh, one of our great sponsors, but I can't do that yet. You have to. You have to. You have to do your thing. What's up? What the Justice Department has done here can be seen as frightening, or 
as insulting. I, I'm going to let people decide how to view it. Allow me to share the story. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. The Department of Justice filed what's known as a statement of interest. And they say, and, and I, I quote here this from the Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark from the Civil Rights Division, quote, people with gender dysphoria should be able to seek the full protections of the Americans with Disability Act, just like other people with disabilities. Gender dysphoria, as described in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, a marked incongruence between one's experienced expressed gender and primary and or secondary sex characteristics or as it would be said in today's nomenclature, trans. Gender dysphoria is a known mental disorder, which is exactly what it is. And what we're seeing across the country, around the globe, is nothing more than social contagion. There is just simply no believability in terms of data to the idea that this many people have gender dysphoria. That is not the way it works. That is beyond non-science. It is, look at the attention I get, look at the video I get to make on TikTok, look how important I am, and it does show a series of issues regarding today's world and uh, its mental state. The Department of Justice stating the U.S. Constitution requires that people incarcerated in jails and prisons receive necessary medical care, treatment, and services to address serious medical conditions. I don't know where it says that in the Constitution, neither here nor there. The Justice Department is now saying, hey, all you people who want to scream trans this, trans that, trans the other, you're disabled. That's what the Justice Department said. You see, I think that those people amongst the progressive side are going to be up in arms about this. How dare you label me this way? I look at this and say, so we're now going to say that people who want surgeries and want to self-mutilate and this, that, and the other, uh, not only can you not stop them, but you have to pay for it if you're an employer or something else. Oh, you see, you can use this legislation as your protection. You made a choice. Oh, no, no, there's no choice to be made. Oh, okay. That might be true for some, but you and I both know that's not true for all. And if we're not going to be honest with each other, well, I don't know what we're doing here then. And the people offended by this conversation, eh. You offend me every day, and you don't seem to care. Why should I have to somehow change my words, which is an honest understanding of the situation, to make you happy? Next thing you know, you're going to tell me I have to use certain pronouns. That dog won't hunt. This is really a unique Pandora's box. Really, really dangerous stuff. They filed the statement as part of a lawsuit brought in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Georgia against the State Department of Corrections for Georgia. Americans with Disabilities Act. 
So therefore, the state, meaning the taxpayer, has to pay for these surgeries because they're disabled and they have to have this. Oh. Um, uh, who you vote for matters quite a bit. It really does. Tony Katz, 93, WIBC. Good morning. is an outraged mother, an outraged parent, because in New York, where they now have to deal with being a sanctuary city, as all those crossing illegally into the country have been moved to other parts of the country, because they're not coming for Texas, they're coming to the United States. And it's not racist, Mayor Brandon Johnson of, uh, of Chicago, to bring people to Chicago. Can I just state for the record that the mayor of Chicago is a remarkable bigot, but you voted for a socialist freak. You voted for a guy who can't do the job. This is what you get. Bringing people here, well, that's just an attack on black mayors. Shut your face, you bigoted freak. You deserve deserve all the derision and all the hate you get. You're not, you can't do this job. We all see it. We all know it. Plenty of capable people out there. You're just not one of them. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. But this is New York. And New York, of course, has taken on a whole bunch of people uh, who are here illegally and otherwise. And they've actually created tent cities at a place called Floyd Bennett Field. Sorry, kids, you can't play soccer here. Oh, we know you're citizens of the United States, but these people matter more, so we're going to put them right here. No, we don't know why the government didn't just send them back to their home countries, but they're in now, and they don't have to see a judge for about four years. So here, we're going to place them here. Well, uh, a storm was coming. As we know, there's uh, been some cold weather in lots of parts of of the country. So what did they do? They moved them from this field, from this tent shelter, to James Madison High School in Brooklyn. To do that, they shut down school today. The kids have remote learning. And parents and others are like, why are my kids suffering because of this? It's a great question. Now, someone is going to make the mistake of saying, where's your humanity? These are children. First, they're not all children. Secondly, I rank these things. I don't think kids who were brought to the United States by their parents are bad kids. I feel for them. But I have to rank these things, and kids who are in the United States, who are citizens, who are here legally, come first. Why can't you do that? Why well, can't rank children? They're all important. I didn't say that they weren't important. But the kids who are here come first. Why do other people's kids come before the kids of American citizens or the people who are here legally? Why do you do that? 
Why don't you think that the country and those who live in it legally come first? As a matter of fact, what exactly is wrong with you that you don't do that? Because to not do that is a despicable thing to do. To not rank American citizens in the United States first above others is nutty is gross, is obscene, and I would argue inhumane. If you cared about the people coming across the border, you would have stronger border policies that keep certain people out. And you say to me, what happened to the poem on the Statue of Liberty? Emma Lazarus didn't write policy and nobody voted on it. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Not be free, it's breathe free. That's not a policy. That's the problem with you progressives. You think your emotions are policy. I think your emotions are laughable. Policy is that kids in the United States who we claim to want to give an education should actually get it. And we learned after three years of, of, uh, of COVID that remote learning for these kids doesn't work. You put somebody else's kids above American kids and people who are here legally. That's an obscenity. If you cared about those coming across the border, you would have serious policy, serious technology, and you wouldn't allow half of the people to come into the country. For example, the single able-bodied males coming from China and uh, from Senegal and from Colombia and other places. If you cared about these kids, you would be looking at what we can do to end the cartels in places like Ecuador. You know what's going on in Ecuador? absolute disaster the cartels taking over in such a way the violence is nationwide it's a horror show you have gunmen who burst into a television studio during a live broadcast took the station's anchors hostage and then engaged in a firefight with police if you cared about these children at all You'd be focused on policies like that. Instead, you have got ridiculous children like Representative Ocasio-Cortez and these nonsense squad socialist freaks who believe that they've they've, uh, taken over the country. Believe in open borders and believe that American children and people who are here legally, kids who are here legally, should be displaced. Bad border policy means your kids don't get an education. Maybe now you'll pay attention. Maybe now you'll change the way you vote. I don't want to hear moms screaming at security guards at a school. Change the way you vote. Change where you donate your money. And remember that the progressives, this is the world they created. Stop wanting it and stop enabling it. Matt Bear has got traffic on the fives. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was treated for prostate cancer. 
So? What does that have to do with the Pentagon being completely incapable of sharing with the President of the United States that he was incapacitated for three days? The answer is nothing. And the White House isn't going to fire him. Which means that Joe Biden is a terrible leader who will take any bit of crap people throw his way. No respect for the man. I mean, listen to Kirby, John Kirby, try and defend this. It's, he's just a big hot mess. Wait, thank you for all the detail on that. But more broadly, why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again? I think we all recognize, and I think the Pentagon has been very, very honest with themselves about uh, the um, the challenge to, to, to credibility by what by what has transpired here, and by what and by uh, uh, how 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 hard it was for them to be fully transparent with the American people. I think. It's not hard to be fully transparent with the American people, and that's not even the story. Never mind how completely flustered John Kirby is, the NSC coordinator for strategic communications. He's totally flustered. He sounds like Corinne Jean-Pierre right there. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning, good to be with you. This isn't about the Pentagon being transparent with the American people. You did not inform the president. There's nothing else to discuss. You're incompetent. Or it didn't matter. And either way, Lloyd Austin should be fired. Fired! The entire team should be fired. Nope. Totally fine. Totally fine. Madness, if you ask me. Now, there is a story worthy of noting that first you had Congressman Larry Bouchon announce he's not running for re-election in the Indiana 8th, and then Greg Pence yesterday in the Indiana 6th saying he's not running for re-election. And already you got people jumping in on that one. Uh, uh, State Rep uh, Mike Speedy made his announcement that he's running in, in the 6th. I've met the man a few times. I think he's a decent guy. I don't know his his, his track record uh, completely, so uh, I can't give an endorsement. Uh, and some people are noting, wow, huge part of the Indiana delegation. Braun running for governor. Banks is is running for, for Senate. So you've got four, because Sparks, of course, not running for election, four congressional seats up for grabs in Indiana. Indiana just became a very exciting place. And some people want to go the route of, oh, sure, get your pension and get out. We see how you are. Allow me to take a different tact. Um, I thought not having lifelong politicians was a good thing. All I hear about is these people stick around for forever. They don't get anything done. We need new blood, new this, new that. We've got people three terms, four terms saying, okay, thank you very much, I'm out, and now we're yelling at them? It's the weirdest thing in the world to me. Now, why are they leaving now? What is it that they see? They're like, we don't want to be a part of this. Maybe it's just a dysfunctional way of, of, of Congress. Who wants to be around this stuff? 
Maybe they think there's going to be some massive losses. They don't want to be in the minority again. We're talking about the Republicans who have uh, gone away. Maybe that's just the difference between Republicans and Democrats. They see another future for themselves. But Andre Carson just wants to suckle on the public's you-know-what for as long as he can and take the money because, you know, he, he's, he's grandma's kid and he wants the dollars. This is just easy. He doesn't have to do anything. He keeps getting reelected. Doesn't matter how much of a, of a Jew-hating bigot he is. Doesn't matter what a failure he is. Just keeps getting paid. Exactly how long do we want people to be in Congress? If they were there for 20 years, 10 terms, because Congress, two-year terms, we'd say, my God, what a lifer. Why don't they get out already? They're there for three terms and leave. We say, oh, sure, uh, they're just getting their whatever pension or this, that, the other, and they're gone. They, you know, they're just grifters. I'm sorry. That's not an argument that works. Maybe we should be asking why they're leaving. I'll be reaching out to both the Bouchon and the Pence camps to find out. Meanwhile, office space is available. Mickey Shuey from the IBJ is scheduled to join us next to break down what's available, what it's costing, and what these building owners see as the future. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. What to do with all the office space? Not just in central Indiana, but around the country. It's everywhere. You've got unlimited opportunities to rent. But who's coming to a downtown? The empty offices is the economic, potentially one of the economic stories of 2024. Because while COVID sent people scrambling, over the past year, it is clear that not every business can get people to come back. And this is going to become not only an issue for the downtown businesses that rely on the people coming to the offices, but it's going to be a story of whether these businesses start cutting bait or acquiescing to the people who want to work from home and have nobody watching what they're doing. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Mickey Shuey joins me right now. Commercial real estate, tourism, and sports business reporter over at the IBJ. He's the author of the Real Estate Weekly Newsletter at the Indianapolis Business Journal, IBJ.com. I had sent this story to you from the Wall Street Journal. Office vacants, Offices around America hit a new vacancy record, 19.6%. And I said, what do you think of this number? And your response was, Sounds about right. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. Um, first, I want to kind of do a set the stage a little bit because here in central Indiana, it's important for us to know the numbers for our for our area, of course. And according to JLL, uh, a brokerage, uh, they they say that the uh, central Indiana number is actually closer to twenty four percent overall, with downtown being around twenty two point seven percent. Uh, vacancy overall. Uh, now that's not super out of line with that 19.6 number, but uh, but as I said, it it's not surprising given that there are still a lot of questions about the the future viability of these traditional downtown office spaces. Um, I mean, you you've still got uh, the the tall office towers, but but then you've also got other projects that are actually underway or finishing up. Uh, of new office space in other parts of downtown, like you've got Bottle Works, you've got the Stutz, 
you're eventually going to have it 11 park in circle center. So really the big question that pops into my mind as a reporter is how do those areas, how do these uh, kind of specialty districts affect the, the future of the downtown core uh, office space? Well, it could be to an, an answer to that question is people will be attracted to the new thing and they'll move out of the old thing. So it's just a question of re-adjusting re, 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 uh, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, and it's not actually solving the issue. And when you talk about 24%, well, if the average is 19.6, that's one in five offices open. Once you get near 25%, it's one in four offices uh, open. So I, I, me personally, I thought that number was, pretty staggering talking to mickey shuey commercial real estate tourism and sports business reporter for the indianapolis business journal ibj.com what are the building owners telling you about their plan i assume they have discussed here's how we think we can get people back what are they discussing i mean a lot of the building owners right now are staying pretty mum but those i have talked with have, have really said that they're trying to focus on kind of quality of place type improvements, things like, like lounges and, and more open, open office spaces and shared spaces for workers. Um, you've also got that going on within the, the, um, the rent ranks as well. I mean, you've got companies that are trying to open up uh, larger break areas and, and gathering spaces. And that's something that was really popularized right after COVID, but it continues to be a trend because uh, companies are trying to get their, their workers back. I mean, it's, uh, I'm downtown at least three, four days a week. And, and I will say that from my experience, there's been, uh, like there's still a ton of cars on the road and everything, but, but certainly in the offices, uh, there's, there's not nearly as many people as there were pre pandemic. So I think they're trying to figure that out, but, but more importantly, a lot of these building owners, I think are, to some extent, trying to just keep the doors open. I mean, we've we've had at least one major uh, building downtown, uh, Circle Tower on Monument the Circle, uh, uh, go into uh, receivership because the owner was allegedly not able to pay the bills. So I think that's going to be a question as we go through 2024, whether we're going to see more companies, uh, excuse me, more building owners, Uh, encounter those sorts of issues with their buildings. So let's discuss, you you brought this up earlier. We're not just talking about the the massive, quote-unquote, skyscrapers. We're talking about the three-story office complex, which you can find in Indianapolis, you can find in Muncie, you can find in in Bloomington and all across uh, Indiana. They're having problems as well. Are their problems greater because they don't, by nature, have the amenities of the larger office complexes? Uh, perhaps to an extent, yes, I, I would say so, especially for those kind of standalone standalone buildings. Because uh, when you get the Keystone at the Crossing, for example, and, and the uh, the Keystone Office Park there, all of those buildings have the amenities or shared amenities that they can work with. But but the uh, the smaller uh, single um, single building uh, campuses are, are are certainly encountering issues as well. Uh, that's not really broken down in the data all that clearly. So uh, understanding that uh, takes a little bit more finessing, but uh, but certainly uh, they're they're encountering issues the same as uh, what downtown or even the the uh, the suburban office parks are. 
So I, I mentioned Muncie and, 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 and Bloomington. These cities, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, et cetera, what are the cities doing to try and get the businesses to bring people back? How is that progressing? I mean, honestly, it's it seems to be staying about the same. I mean, we've we've continued to see uh, efforts from uh, from Develop Indy and in other um, other economic development arms uh, try and try and bring companies in, but there's not necessarily a uh, a tried and true formula to do that, especially at a time when uh, the the stock is go- or the the uh, occupancy is going down because people want to work from home. This is something that we really not encountered before. So I think people are still trying to kind of crack that code a little bit, uh, especially on the city side and ensuring uh, longevity for uh, the downtown central business district. Before I let you go, how long does this go on? Is this a uh, financial disaster still in 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 the waiting still in the coming on for 2024 or is there a belief that there will be some relief in this year you know i I hate to say it tony but i it's hard to answer that one because i think we are still in the early stages of this in terms of finding a solution uh because once once you find the solution it's only a matter of time before that starts rolling out and and being uh popularized so I think once once these companies find a solution and and are able to kind of crack that code, uh, we'll start to see some relief. But until that happens, we're going to continue to see uh, more vacancy increases. Um, and uh, and and I, I I am curious uh, on my own what what we're going to see happen with those office tower, towers long term because uh, converting them uh, is is not an an inexpensive task by any means. You mean like turning them into condos and things like that? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen that happen a couple times, uh, particularly with the uh, 220 building uh, at 220 North Meridian from Keystone. They spent about $80 million, and it, it turned out to be a very well-done uh, property. But uh, but that's that's not an easy thing to do, given just the size of these buildings and, and the breakdowns of their interiors. Mickey Shuey of the Indianapolis Business Journal. Find his work over there, ibj.com. Mickey, thank you. How bad is it? Don't sugarcoat it. Give it to me straight. Want coffee? I think I need some coffee. Time to fill up on the news. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Fill up on the news presented by Absolute Wealth Management, LLC, the Absolute Wealth Retirement Planning Show. Sunday is 9 a.m. on WIBC and WIBC.com. Dow futures are down five. NASDAQ futures are up to five. That's it. That is it. Now, weird thing happened yesterday where the SEC, their their Twitter feed was uh, was breached. It was, it was hacked, not breached, hacked. Um, they're saying, look, it wasn't the fault of X formerly Twitter. And the commentary yesterday was to the idea that maybe these ETFs with Bitcoin won't happen. Maybe they will. It was trying to manipulate the system. Try and get people excited, maybe get people buying. Meanwhile, crypto has been up and down over the last 24 hours 
in a way that was surreal because the news yesterday that made you think the ETF was going to happen, it, uh, Bitcoin went up to 48000 and then they said, well, this is a breach. We haven't said anything yet. They're supposed to make an announcement today about these funds, uh, these exchange funds. Well, now there's a question whether or not they're going to say yes to it today or whether or not they're going to delay, which could send the price down quite a bit. Because when they announced, well, well, we didn't say that. This was this was this tweet. This this post wasn't us. This was we were hacked. Boom. Things went down by quite a few thousand. So. What's going to happen today with this? I don't know. Right now, uh, for those of you who follow crypto, uh, basically everything except Ethereum is down. Ethereum's been going big. And for those of you who know crypto, do you keep the Ethereum, thinking that that uh, fund is going to get started? Or do you take your Ethereum and now put it into Bitcoin because if they get approved, uh, you, you you could have a huge, huge run-up, and then you have the happening. See, I know little things. I know little things, people. You tell me. Let me know on, on, on the Twitter X there at Tony Katz or Tony at TonyKatz.com. And let me throw down my marker. I think I did this the other day, but I want to make sure. I'm staring at Iowa, and I disagree with everybody who's like, oh, it's Iowa, they're used to the cold, it won't matter. The hell it won't. This is a ridiculous notion in my view. They're still human beings. When right now the temperature in Des Moines is 14, it's going to be a high of 29, I think people still show up places. On Monday... The day of the Iowa caucus, the high is one below, the low is 17 below. If you think people don't change what they do, change their patterns because of that weather, I don't think you're being serious. And this is true of people who are here in Indianapolis who have been commenting on it, and people I see across the country commenting on it. I don't think the weather's going to affect that much. You're nuts. You're out of your head. I think it's going to have uh, a, a huge effect. But I also think two things are going to happen. And I'm putting down my marker right now. I said this yesterday. I think some people thought I was crazy. I am not crazy. I think DeSantis can win Iowa. My mathematics involves the weather that the people who have been with DeSantis, regardless of the campaign ups and downs and mostly downs, regardless of the surge of Haley, regardless of the huge numbers Trump have, has, those are the true believers, and they are the ones most committed. So they will show up regardless of the temperature. More of them than certainly for Haley or for Trump. That is my theory. It's not a bad theory. My theory has a caveat. Or really, it has, a, maybe it would be called a corollary. Once you realize that the weather can play a part in turnout, it becomes very easy to dismiss the Iowa caucuses. That's what I think is going to happen. I believe that the Iowa caucuses regardless of the result, will be dismissed because of weather. 
and the real story will then move itself to New Hampshire and South Carolina. This will also be done by certain people who want to diminish where Trump is in polling. In New Hampshire, right now, uh, Haley has, what's the term they use, a surging? The latest poll, CNN University of New Hampshire, Trump 39, Haley 32, Christie 12, DeSantis 5. Jeepers. But that's a seven-point spread. Nikki Haley is only down by seven. In South Carolina, Trump, in the latest polls, Emerson, Trump 54, Haley 25, DeSantis 7. I didn't say DeSantis was doing well in other places. I just think in Iowa, he can pull it out. We should be clear that Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucus. Winning the Iowa caucus doesn't mean much. It doesn't. You know who won Iowa in 1980? George H.W. Bush. Ronald Reagan was your president. In in 96, it was indeed uh, a Bob Dole, but he also uh, won it in uh, 1988. That didn't matter. George H.W. Bush became president. In 2008, it was Mike Huckabee. In 2012, it was Rick Santorum. In 2016, it was Ted Cruz. The people of Iowa take being first very seriously. It is a super intense thing to them. I have done panels on this. Uh, some of my earliest work, uh, it, it's, it's, it's on C-SPAN. It's, it's pretty crazy. My first C-SPAN uh, 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 experience doing panels like this about telling the people of Iowa that they do a crappy job of explaining to the rest of America why they're first. And, and there's a couple reasons for it. I think it, 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 it's a fascinating talk. But the winner of the Iowa caucus has not had much luck recently. And DeSantis could be in that in that position. But I think things are looking better for DeSantis, even if the polls don't show it. This is my take on Iowa, not necessarily the rest of the election. Just putting it down there. You got you gotta be a guy who puts it down there. That's exactly what I'm doing. done a little bit more reading about these tunnels under the synagogue, the Chabad in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. I have absolutely no idea what this is. I do know that it's got a lot of conspiracy theorists talking about how evil the Jews are. Uh, We didn't need a tunnel for them to be conspiracy theorists or to say these things, so 
What what does that matter to me? Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. I will say as clear as day that this tunnel thing is nutty. It it try and explain what it is. Okay. So 12 people got arrested because they started rioting because it was discovered that under a synagogue, uh, it's actually the Chabad Lubavitch World Headquarters. So Chabad's are really fascinating places. They're synagogues, but like how they how they engage and 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 a, and a level of, of supportive there's a huge huge it, it it's I, I don't want to say it wrong and my rabbi will correct me if i have it wrong but it's kind of credited with with a, a way of engaging outreach and has engaged outreach amongst a more orthodox set i think i think i'm saying that properly so they in this synagogue, they built a tunnel, and the tunnel is connected to something called a mikvah, M-I-K-V-A-H. So a mikvah is a ritual bath, and women use it. Um, I, I was telling this story yesterday. If you didn't know, my wife converted, and in in doing a, a conversion, a th- I guess you could think of it like like baptism right into the water you you, you go uh you you utilize a mikvah this this ritual cleaning uh we were in new jersey there wasn't one so the alternate alternative to using a mikvah the atlantic ocean and it was um it was cold my wife's a trooper that's right i'm worth it you're welcome so uh they built this tunnel and to this mikvah, and I don't have the slightest clue why. Now, one of the directors of the Chabad said it was a group of extremist students who broke through a few walls in adjacent properties to the synagogue. Okay, I saw pictures. It's a tunnel. What's the purpose? What was the purpose? This, I have absolutely no clue. It's the story is as weird as you think it is weird. Because it's weird. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what the point was. No clue. I I, I, I can't figure it out. So... That that there are people out there saying, uh, I, I, I it, it bring up conspiracy theories. It's it's just fueling people's hatreds of Jews, dude. I don't need that. I've got college campuses for that. Sometimes something's just weird. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Thank you, Freud. Sometimes that's all it is. But if you're asked, hey, do you think this is weird? If you're if I'm being asked, oh yeah, I do. I think anytime you're building a tunnel and you're, 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 you're not trying to connect two cities, it's pretty weird.
If you ask me about uh, Elon Musk's desire to have that tunnel system, and what was wasn't he going to have like a giant tunnel system and underground uh, trains to connect cities in California? Weird. Weird.